Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gundog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engraving such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. This week we have Ryan Thompson on the line. Ryan, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, living the dream. I'm I'm doing more than okay right now. We're finally able to sit down and record this. I think I think you take the trophy for the most difficult to line out calendar schedule wise to knock out a profile or any episode for that matter man this is tried what six or seven now something like that i mean we've had everything from typical reschedules just work and family to uh we tried recording last week and no joke as i was hitting the record button got a text message from the neighbor saying that the barn roof was flying off in the storm so obviously we had to book that but man I'm, gl I'm glad we finally made it happen we persevered we made it through it we're gonna knock it out and we're gonna figure out what got ryan into the gundog world hell yeah <laughs> so go ahead and start off with where you're from what kind of dogs you run and what kind of got you into this world uh so i'm from uh, a little community in nova scotia canada called amherst nova scotia new brunswick border that's where i grew up i live about an hour away from there now but that's where i do the majority of my uh my hunting uh 
I've got a two-year-old wired-haired pointing griffin, and I also run my father's nine-year-old Brittany Spaniel as well. Okay. So how did you end up with your dad's Brittany Spaniel? Is it is he just kind of getting out of it, or you just saw he had the bird dog, and you're like, you know what, I just got to put it to use? Well, he, he still has it. He keeps it up at his place, but usually when I run – when I go out for a run, um, I'll go to his place and pick the dog up or he'll come with me and, and we'll run both dogs. Okay. Yeah. I got you. So why a griff? You know, I know griffs are growing in popularity and everything, but what was it about those woolly mammoths that appealed to you? So when I first started, at, I get my own bird dog. Um, I hadn't even heard of griffins ever before. And uh, I had it narrowed down to a, a GSP a Brittany and a poodle pointer. And that, <clears throat> I don't even remember now how, how I came about the Griffins, but I found a, a breeder in New Brunswick about three hours away from me. And they import their stud dogs out of France. And, uh, they really try to breed what court dolls had imagined as what a Griffin was supposed to be. I started researching griffins and researching this breeder and talking to them. And, and I had talked to a couple poodle pointer breeders, one down the States, one out in Alberta. And, um, really it just came down to the house dog part of it. Really? The off switch. Yeah, exactly. Um, cause I had had a GSP when I was younger I had GSP for a little while, and he was just wired. We had the Brittany we have now, and we had a Brittany before that, and they'll just go, go, go. Um, the Poodle Pointer, I haven't been around them a whole lot. My cousin has one out in Alberta, and uh, I just figured they were kind of a little too hyper as well. So it came down really to, like you said, the off switch because – my wife and I both work eight hours a day, five days a week. We can't be home all day with dogs. And by the time we get home, it's six, seven o'clock at night. And then we just have to have some sort of um, downtime, I guess, that the dog's able to just chill out with us, right? Companion so. first. And I mean, as hard as we all want to hunt and we like to think of us, ourselves as hardcore hunters, uh, for the vast majority of people, these dogs are going to be companions 98% of their lives. I mean, e- even with us that want to hunt all the time, you account for the time that they just spend in the house with you as a family member compared to the out out in the field chasing birds. You know, you, you do the math, you're going to see that it, it goes the companion route a lot more often than hunting. 100%. Yeah, so that's really what what uh kind of sealed the deal for me on the griffins um like i said i hadn't even heard of, of griffins when i first started looking in to get my own bird dog and i don't even remember how i how i stumbled upon them now it might have just been a google search of different breeds of bird dogs but um i'm definitely happy with the choice i made yeah well, what was, it, what was it like? You mentioned that you had a short hair growing up. What was it like getting into the Griff world? How much experience did you have training dogs before you got the Griff? Um, little to none. And when I added short hair when I was a kid, it was more of a uh, 
<laughs> my father and I ended up in this deal with some fellow that had this three or four year old dog and we brought the dog home, tried to hide it from my mother for a little while and ran the dog. And then finally she found out about it. And anyways, the dog didn't end up staying at our place very long, but like I said, after that, <clears throat> um, we got into the Britneys who were also high energy dogs, as you know, and, um, it's almost a whole different world going from the Britneys to the Griffins, as as we just talked about, like the off switch part of it, right? Um, when we take our, our Brittany uh, out hunting, we almost have to drop him out of the car and let him run for three or four miles just to burn off the first little bit of energy before <laughs> he'll put his nose to the ground and try to hunt, right? Yep. You got to so, burn off that jet fuel, get a get a quick opening run, just a field run in, and then they go out there and, uh, you know, put their game shoes on. Yeah, 100%. And he's starting to slow down now. Like I said, he's he's nine this year, so he doesn't – he's not that bad anymore. But up until he was probably seven, like, honest to God, you literally had to run him for three or four miles first before you could hunt him. <laughs> that wouldn't, wouldn't hunt for the first – 20 30 minutes he was just running around right really so. just burning that jet fuel off man exactly yeah so what was it like you said that you had little to none in training experience what was it like you got this griff you had i guess you were just wanting to, to hunt but you wanted that companion you know kind of walk me through what it was like starting off and getting the knowledge and the resources and kind of figuring out where you wanted to take this pup. So when I found this breeder in New Brunswick, um, it opened up a whole new world of dogs to me because I had never heard of NAVDA or, or, um, all your NAVDA tests, your CKC hunt tests. I'd never been privy to that. My father, when I was a, an infant, he ran field trials and, uh, and hound dogs at our place but um i didn't know anything like i said about navdo or training or the versatile dog world or anything so when i met this breeder they were awesome in um introducing me into navda and the the whole world of versatile dogs and they have a, a big club up in fredericton there in new brunswick and uh I've just gained so many different connections in in the dog training world, let alone the hunting world, uh, just through that one breeder. Mm. So it was uh, it was a huge help finding them, and like I said, they opened up a whole new experience for me. Yeah, and and so they just kind of got you hooked. They started introducing you to, into the different organizations and kind of steering you down the path of the training the dog and everything. What were some of the learning curves that you took on when you started training this dog, even with their help and guidance? Um, well, actually, I got really lucky um, with the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, because when I first got the dog, I got it at the end of February, and then I think the first or second week of March, I got put off work for two months with pay due to COVID. So I had two full months at home with this eight, nine week old puppy, which was awesome for me. So I was able to, um, call up the breeder and any day I wanted, whatever time and just say, Hey, what am I doing wrong? Or how should I do this? Or how should I go about this? Um, 
so that was was a, a big help but as far as learning curves like in order for me to get to anywheres or anybody that i could train with or um do any so any sort of training session i gotta drive minimum an hour and a half and so that was kind of an issue with me so i really relied on youtube uh podcasts that sort of thing for a lot of my training and i was kind of just left to my own devices here um so there's all sorts of things now two years later looking back that oh i should have done this this way or i shouldn't have done this at all or i should have done this instead of this etc etc yeah um but like i said it was hard because you're so far away from going to be able to train with anybody and then everything also being shut down with with covid yeah so it's kind of like a catch-22 for you it was good in the fact that you're at home and it was perfect timing with a young pup to where you had this pup to to mold and start training but it also kind of acted against you because it shut down pretty much any chance of a social network or some helpers that that could kind of help you show you in person you know i know the navda chapter shut down i know there weren't any trials anywhere so that's kind of an interesting perspective now that you put it that way to where it's like you had the time and even with all these resources, you just didn't have the social network to really take advantage of it. Exactly. So, like I said, I relied heavily on just watching YouTube videos. Um, Dan and Stone Kennels was a huge one. Uh, Ethan down there in, mm-hmm. in Canada was huge for me. And um, like I said, it's it goes back to the whole gun dog it yourself. Like, I didn't really have much of a choice at that point. <laughs> Well, I mean, you said that, all right, so Standing Stone, you know, they, they heck, I, I used to watch all kinds of their videos. That They have a, a lot of stuff on YouTube uh, that can help people out. And th- there are a few other channels, but YouTube, you got to be really careful about kind of which ones you look at and which ones you follow. Uh, podcasts, you said that you listen to a bunch of podcasts. I mean, besides ours, was there another one that kind of helped you out as well? Yeah, I'd, I'd listened heavily to uh, uh, Ronnie Bain there, at the Gun Dog Hunting Podcast or the Hunting Dog Podcast. That was another big one, and really, that was just more little tips and tricks here and there. Because mm-hmm. um, I like, I'm definitely a visual learner. Like, I have to see something done in order to know how it should be done, right? So, um, listening to Ronnie, you lit you pick up little things here and there just basically little tricks from from him or from his guests or whatever on how to just kind of alter your 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 training habits yeah so what about uh what are you mainly targeting you know you got the griff you wanted the off switch and everything did you mention i I can't if you already said this sorry but like what what's your main targets are you waterfowl are you upland mainly one one side or the other or just kind of a little bit of everything yeah probably 90 percent of the the bird hunting i do is uh upland pheasants up here so like last year i got out on i think two waterfowl hunts and the year before same thing two or three waterfowl hunts but there's a lot of agriculture land around here um field wise and marsh wise so there is a, a great abundance of pheasants around here and, it, and it's fairly easy to get uh access to 
called the pheasant habitat here. So, and really that's where, when my father and I first got into bird dogs, um, that's basically where we started with the, with the gun dog situation. And I just kind of fell super deep in love with it. And that was just my thing. Like I'd rather 99 days out of a hundred be out in a, cornfield hunting pheasants than I would sitting in a deer stand or going through the woods right yep I think that there's a lot of us that have kind of similar feelings about that while we we all love the wild wildlife and just outdoors in general you know I'll go shoot deer and fill up the freezer but for the most part if you give me the choice between sitting in a deer stand or even sitting in a duck blind depending on the type of duck blind and how many people are there more than likely i just want to grab my dog and go walk through the field and see what we can kick up out of there a hundred percent like like you just said like i'll shoot deer every year to put in the freezer but i wouldn't consider myself a, a deer hunter right right like i would consider myself an upland hunter so yeah and waterfowl you just said that you just do a couple of those every year is that just kind of opportunistic or whenever somebody invites you along or something yeah it's mostly opportunistic like it's it's kind of more or less i just don't really have the time to go out and put a blind up and and scout out um marshland or water for for ducks and geese and whatnot so yeah this comes down to that basically but i do like Try to get out on on one or two waterfowl hunts a year. Just put a couple ducks or, or a goose or two in the freezer. And yeah, give you a little bit of variety anyway. So this year, man, training season it's 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 started down here. I don't know about up by your neck of the woods. It might still be a little too nasty outside. Uh, training season, man. Like what what are the goals for you this year leading up into the hunting season? Yeah, we're just starting to get into training season here now. Uh, I think uh, Monday or Tuesday we had um, just random six inches of snow fall on the ground here <laughs> after the, uh, up in the 40 degree Fahrenheit weather, 40s and 50s, just a random day of of uh, snow. So it's kind of hit and miss right now. Like I've been trying to get out as much as I can with the dog, just even out in the backyard and, and putting her on dummies and, and uh, whatever else, but um our goals this year actually it was just today i was talking to um somebody from the ckc that does our field water tests so it'd be the same as your akc hunt test down there but we break it down into uh field portion or water portion so you can run your pointers in the field and your retrievers in the water whatever yeah and so i was just talking to them today and we're going to try to get our uh our junior title done in september for her for my griffin um so yeah we got to uh really start getting into it there now i think yeah what are going to be some of the main challenges with her this year for getting ready for that test um i haven't looked a whole lot into the test and, and the uh different parts of the test but i believe the field dog junior is pretty similar to the nav to natural ability test somewhat um they don't have to retrieve the hand uh for your junior they uh basically just go out and they judge the dog on its nose on its field work how it works the field and finding birds really so i just kind of want to uh like hone in on 
steady to flush, steady to uh, shot kind of deal. Yeah. Because when she, she hits a bird, she holds tight. But as soon as that bird comes up, she's gone. Which um, is going to be a problem if we decide to go further with our testing stuff. And, uh, like, she's not a, she doesn't have a breeding contract. She's fixed. So we're not looking to do all these tests in order to breed her later on. Like, we're just doing the tests because it's fun. And it kind of gives me more motivation to end up with the best bird dog I can have, right? Yeah. Gives you that motivation and that drive and something to strive for during the off season. That's, there's a lot of people that I know that even within NAVDA, you know, they test a lot in NAVDA, but you know, they don't, that's not their primary goal. They just kind of do that to give themselves off season goals and something to keep them busy. But once hunting season hits, you're not going to find them at a test. <laughs> they're, they're out there hunting. No. Yeah. So, uh, Real quick, you know, I, I, I'm trying to ask everybody the same two questions on these profile episodes. Number one, has there been an episode, guest, topic, whatever that we've done that's kind of helped you figure something out, get over a hurdle or anything like that? Yeah, um, a few actually. Well, a few that have helped me that way and then a couple what, that I just found like really relatable and uh, and interesting to listen to. Uh, one of those ones was your profile episode with Don Tyndall from uh, Carolina there. Oh, Donald. That was a really good episode to listen to for me because, like, he had started out looking for a GSP, and I think he ended up with Brittany's, right? Yep. Which is kind of where I was going. And uh, it was interesting to listen to him describe how his Brittany's work in the field and then me think about how our Brittany's have worked in the field because – Honestly, it's completely different than how he described it. Yeah. So it's it's interesting how different people with different dogs will the dog will end up so much different than than another uh, Brittany or or whatever. Um, another good episode uh, was actually that the last one you released there, Bob Owens. I love that one. Oh yeah, the intro to handling. Yeah, I I actually just listened to it today on my way home from work. And uh, I had been wanting to look more into kind of the, not not exactly casting, but being able to send your dog on a blind retrieve and direct the dog to where it needs to be and stuff. And that was super helpful to listen to him talk about all that because he did an awesome job um, explaining it all out step by step too. Yeah, now that was a fun one for me. I, I like getting into different territories that I've honestly barely touched on or barely been involved with myself. And guys like Bob, you know, they just have a knack for being able to put it in certain certain words and just bite-sized chunks where it makes sense to a lot of people to whereas before you're looking at this and it's this, it's a this very large daunting task but it's just like everything else in dog training you break it down in a little small chunks you can get through it and i think he did a pretty good job of portraying that in that episode yeah man it, it was awesome to listen to um like it was super friendly for uh guys like me that that just have a, a dog that they're training in their backyard right to uh for him to break it down into those little steps and then be able to kind of see how things should progress from the uh from the side of a professional trainer like him yeah no absolutely so yeah the other question that i have to ask you is give us 
a perfect example? Is there one thing that popped up into your mind to where you just made it made a huge boneheaded mistake or error that you probably don't even want to admit on the air, but it's so indicative of like how everybody has these these stories that they're kind of ashamed of, but everybody kind of goes through. Oh yeah, yeah, man. Like I could pull out a, a list here, but probably the main one was just uh training for her uh, natural ability test we did that in uh, september of 2020 and she was about eight months old when we did it and she had been awesome all summer long doing her training getting in the water my neighbors here they have a big pond i was able to get her in there all the time and working out <clears throat> in the field doing some tracking stuff and and putting bumpers out with scent on them and so about a month before the test, I figured that uh, she was doing awesome, gr- good enough on the water that I could go and focus on the tracking and, and the field work portion of it and not have to worry about the water again. So we got down to the test, and it was it was a, a fairly warm day, and they had already ran a whole day of, of UT tests too. So we got through the field work portion of it she scored max points in the field then we got through the tracking portion scored max points on the tracking then we got to the water portion we got down to the water she was right beside me i threw a bumper out she looked at it looked at me just started walking down the the edge of the pond didn't want anything to do with going in that water (laughs) so i brought her back and i threw another bumper in and she kind of took a couple steps in. Nope, I'm going to go check out these decoys that are over on the other side of the uh, the pond instead. And she just wanted no part of going in that water. And like I said, she had been doing awesome all summer. She barrel right into the into the pond or or any water I had her in. Grab that bumper, bring it right back to my hand. But for some reason, at that training day, she just did not want a single thing to do with getting in that water. So I got to blame myself on that. of just cutting it out for the month or month and a half and not having her in the water right up until the, the test and kind of brushing it off. Like, Oh, she did fine, whatever. But, but, uh, it goes back to like Bob Owen said there at the end of that podcast that, that, uh, what was it? They, they train until your dog does it right and we train until the dog can't do it wrong or something. Yeah, yeah. Typically amateurs train until the dog does it right and then pros typically train until the dogs can't do it wrong. And that, that that's kind of the saying. And uh, it's true. I mean, it's something like that. Just a quick sanity check right before the test, you know, it, it would have been good. And it's a good lesson for for you as well as anybody else that to where anything can happen on test day. Like, that's it's part of the fun, honestly. I mean, it's like I've I've witnessed dogs go out there and something that they're great at, they just do horrible at. And you thought that they, they just sucked at it. And then stuff that they've been horrible at, they come through and do it perfectly on test day. I mean, they're still dogs, and at the end of the day, no matter what, they're still having fun doing it, right? Yeah, exactly, man. You can't blame them, right? Yeah, exactly. 
Well, Ryan, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun finally being able to link up and knock this out, I think, on the 6th, 7th, 8th try, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, the roof is still on my house, so we're still good on that. But I appreciate your patience and, and kind of lining this whole thing out. Oh, yeah, man. it's uh, It's been great chatting with you even over the past couple of weeks while we try to figure this out. Um, and I appreciate you having me on the on the podcast here and, and look forward to all your future episodes. Awesome. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck this training season, and we'll talk soon. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.